Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. So today we are in week three of our sermon series called The Difficult Words of Jesus. And uh, as you guys know, what we're doing in this series is instead of running from or ignoring some of those troubling things that Jesus said, uh, we're going to be jumping in headfirst, no matter how uncomfortable things might get, to learn what it looks like. And I think even more than that, what it costs us to follow Jesus with everything that we are. But here's the thing about today. If you thought the last two weeks were uncomfortable, and you should have been uncomfortable in the last couple of weeks, this morning we are going to be exploring a passage that if we didn't know it came from Jesus, there's no doubt we would think it was crazy or taught by someone who needs to be locked up. So Matthew 5, 27 through 30 begins, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So what Jesus is doing in this particular teaching, because it's in a a group of teachings, is he is taking a law from the Old Testament, thou shall not commit adultery, and bringing it to completion. Or because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, or God's final word, he is taking this commandment and showing us that adultery is actually way bigger than just cheating on your spouse, which is the way we normally think about it. And the way he makes that point is by saying this. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, if you'll just take a moment to think about what Jesus is saying here, it really is shocking. Because ultimately what Jesus is teaching is that the sin of adultery is not just what happens when someone steps out on their marriage, which is the way we normally think about it. It's the way they thought about it in the ancient world. No, according to Jesus, adultery is what happens when we look at someone who is not our spouse with lust in our hearts. Or another way to say this is, lust is just as bad as cheating on your spouse. Which, of course, to our normal way of thinking, seems to be a bit too much. And then how can lusting even compare to cheating? Or how can looking at an attractive person in passing even compare to the physical act of cheating on your spouse? And even more than that, doesn't Jesus know that sexual desire is just a part of human nature? And that for men, on average, it happens up to 37 times a week, and for women, nine times a week? And that 98.8% of all men have lustful thoughts, while 95.4% of women lust? So how can he say that lust is just as bad as cheating on your spouse? And yet, just when you thought, It couldn't get any crazier. Jesus goes off the deep end by saying this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Yeah, Jesus really says if your eye causes you to lust, what you need to do is you need to reach in there, tear it out, and throw it away. And can you even imagine? Can you even imagine what that would feel like and what that would look like? I mean, just absolutely bananas. But... 
to really get what Jesus is doing here, we need to talk about what Jesus means by hell in this teaching. Because at this point, I think the way most people make sense of this reference to hell is that hell is the name of that place of fire that's somewhere down there where sinners go after they die. Which means what Jesus is saying here, according to that interpretation, is it's better for you to suffer through losing an eye so you will stop sinning than to end up tortured in the afterlife with two eyes because you can't stop sinning. But what I would like to point out to you about the understanding of hell in the ancient Jewish world is that hell was not always used to talk about the afterlife. Now, the truth is, hell was a literal place on the outside of Jerusalem. Or Gehenna, the Greek word we translate as hell, was an actual pit on the north side of the city of Jerusalem where they dumped and burned their trash. Which means for the Jewish people living in that time and place, hell, Gehenna, when they hear that word, it was literally the town dump. Then to add to that, another thing I want to point out to you, which many people miss, is what Jesus says is going to be thrown into hell in this teaching. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You guys catch that? He said body, not soul. That's what's being thrown into hell here. And why this is important to get is because there is no body in the afterlife. No, as you all know, what happens when we die is we leave our bodies behind and our spirit, our soul, that deepest part of us is what goes on into the afterlife. At least the first part of the afterlife, for those of you who know who the bigger picture of the Jewish understanding. And yet here, Jesus is talking about how bodies are being thrown into hell. So that means what's going on here is Jesus is not talking about hell as the place bad people go after they die. Although in other places, he does use hell to talk about that. But instead is referring to how in that time and place, if people were caught in the act of adultery, they could be stoned to death because of their sin, right? That was a law. And then because of their shameful deaths, they would literally be taken out to Gehenna, hell, and dumped with all the other garbage where their bodies would be consumed by the fire that never goes out. So literally, what Jesus is saying here is it's better for you to gouge out your eyes so you will stop lusting than to keep your lustful eye and end up committing adultery and then end up dead, your body being thrown in the garbage dump. Which, I mean, when you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense because, of course, it's, it, it's better to lose an eye and end up in the, than to end up in the city dump. And yet still, at the same time, the idea of gouging out your eyes to, to keep from cheating on your spouse seems to be a bit much. It seems to be a bit of an overkill, at least from our sensibilities. But even with that, right, Jesus is not done. He continues, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Or in the same way he taught us to, to tear out our eyes, we're also called to cut off our hands if we use them to commit adultery because it's also better to lose just a hand and quit sinning than to end up dead with your body in the town dump. Anybody else a little uncomfortable at this point? Right? This is a hard saying. This is a big deal what Jesus is getting at here. So now that you are kind of getting a sense of what Jesus is teaching us here, now that you got the context and that's all in your brain, let me now try to explain to you what Jesus is actually doing, which is, is, is absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So the first thing I hope you guys all see very, very quickly is Jesus is not literally telling us to gouge out our eyes or cut off our hands. Did you guys hear that? I don't want one of you going out there and saying, hey, my preacher told me that I need to cut off my hand and gouge out my eyes. I did not say that, right? If anybody, Jesus said it, but he doesn't mean it in that way. We'll get to that. Now, 
So first thing, that's not literal. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Because if all Christians took this verse literally, then 98.8% of them uh, of men, along with 95.4% of women, would be blind for sure. And I'm pretty sure that most of us would have lost our hands at this point too. I mean, let's be honest. We got to be honest on this deal, right? So no way we're being called to take this literally. Instead, what Jesus is doing here, which is what we talked about last week, is he is using prophetic hyperbole, a rhetorical style used by ancient Jewish teachers where they exaggerate a particular teaching to catch people's attention and to bring the point home. Or to help you see how this works again, let me offer you a modern day example that kind of lines up. So how many of you have ever heard someone say something like, our car cost us an arm and a leg? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that people say quite a bit. Now, notice, when you hear this saying, your first thought is not to think of it literally in that what you picture are people going to a car dealership and cutting off a hand and taking off a leg and then getting the car after trading that in. That's not where we go. No, what we automatically understand is the amount they paid for the car was a lot. It was one of those things that you feel it's a lot. But what I also want you to notice about this expression is how saying our car cost us a lot of money. It doesn't really catch your attention or help you to feel how much they paid. While saying our car cost us an arm and a leg catches your attention while at the same time helping you to actually feel or experience the cost in a visceral kind of way. Or to take it back to our teaching, right? Don't lust is not near as catchy. It's not going to grab you. It's not going to pull you in as, hey, gouge out your eye and cut off your hands. As soon as you hear that, what are you doing? You're leaning in. What's this guy talking about here, right? So he really puts it out there for people to say. So what I think is Jesus is doing when he says, gouge out your eyes and cut off your hands so you don't end up in the garbage dump, is he's trying to get our attention to see how important this is, which then finally gets us to the meaning of what Jesus is trying to teach us through these dangerous words. So the way I interpret what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is basically trying to get us to see that adultery or cheating is not something that happens out of the blue. Like all of a sudden you find yourself with someone who is not your spouse. No, the truth is cheating on your spouse is usually this long drawn out process that begins with what? Lust, right? It begins with lust or to give you the logic of this, a lustful look is what first creates a kind of longing for that person we're attracted to naturally which then can lead to a conversation or a bit of harmless flirting, right? That's the way we think about it. Then as the flirting and the conversation progresses and relationship is established, an emotional connection can happen. And what happens is emotions get involved as you begin to let your guard down. And with your guard down, touching becomes more frequent. You get more intimate. You get more comfortable, which then leads to the place where you can actually do the act of cheating on your spouse. Which again, is not something that, that happened in the moment, right? It's something that this long drawn out thing to get to that place that begins with lust. So what I believe Jesus is getting at here is the best way to, to keep from committing adultery or even getting close is not to live by the rule that everything except cheating on your spouse is acceptable or that it's okay to check people out. It's okay to do what the world tells us to do, but instead to stop adultery at its source by keeping yourself from lust or controlling the lust when it begins. And then to get the brilliance of what Jesus is saying here, lust is a kind of spark that if you deal with it when it's small, it's something that you'll be able to handle without much of a problem. But if you ignore that spark, what happens? It's going to get a bit bigger, right? Then it turns into a small fire, which 
is still manageable, but it's going to take a little more effort. And yet, if you continue to let that small fire continue to burn, that small fire is going to turn into a big fire that you can't control. And then the next thing you know is not only are you on fire, but everyone else involved is now getting burned by this out-of-control blaze because you chose to let it go instead of putting it out. And the reason why Jesus makes such a big deal out of lust, the reason why he's trying to get our attention on this is because what not only happens to the people who cheat, but also happens to their spouses, their children, and everyone involved. Or metaphorically speaking, it can make their life a living hell, an actual living hell. Or in my time of ministry, I have walked with quite a few people through getting a divorce because of infidelity. And what I can tell you about those experiences is that it's horrible. It is absolutely horrible for everyone involved or for those who have been cheated on their hearts are torn apart as they learn about how the one who promised to love them forever has chosen to be intimate with another person. For kids, I've watched as their once safe and predictable world is torn away from them while their home is split into two homes. And then you've got bitter parents who continue to put the kids in the middle or trying to force them to choose sides, which is something that can not only mess kids up in the moment, but it's an experience that can shape them for the rest of their lives, leading to all sorts of problems, which of course is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the hell that is created because of an unfaithful spouse, which could have all been avoided if one of the adulterers would have chosen to control their lust or would have chosen to put out that fire before it got out of control, eventually burning everyone involved. Which gets me to my final point. And that is, Jesus has not given us this hard teaching on lust to suck the fun out of life or to be a buzzkill. Like like somehow following Jesus is boring. Which I think is the way that most people interpret this uh, verse in and outside of the church. Like, oh, he's trying to take away the fun. No. Again, what Jesus is trying to do here is to show us how to live and do our best possible lives by having great relationship with our spouses. Right? And then if you have a great relationship with your spouse, what does that do for your family? Your family is so much better. And if your family is so much better, that makes their lives better and in turn makes the world better. Or what you guys have got to see, the foundation of our society is the family. That's the unit. And if that unit is broken or if there's a whole bunch of that brokenness, then it affects every single person. So Jesus is saying this not only for our good, but he's saying it for the good of all society. Come on now. Isn't that brilliant? It's absolutely brilliant what Jesus does with these teachings when you get in there and begin to wrestle around. But that then begs the question of all of us, right? How many of you might have some work to do in this area? Anybody? It's funny how nobody raises their hand on this one, right? Ooh, there's a stigma attached to that. Hey, I'm just going to go with the research, right? 98 and 94, we've all got an issue with this. It is what it is. We're human beings and we come with that. And it's a good thing, by the way, if we use it in the right way. So what Jesus is telling us to do, hey, you're married, commit yourself to that marriage and give yourself to it. Because if you will, not only will it make your life better, your kids are going to be better, the world's going to be better. But if you don't, it can make your life a living hell and not only for you, but for everybody else. And I know some people sitting in here today who have been through this hell and they can tell you firsthand experience how nobody wants to go through any of this. So may we devote ourselves to controlling this little spark so it doesn't get out of control and ruin our lives.
and your life will be better for it. Let us pray. Father, again, we come to you this morning so grateful uh, to wrestle with these difficult teachings that you give us and see the beauty that is contained uh, within. And today, O oh Lord, you teach us about the power of lust. You teach us about adultery. And it's not something that you give to us to be a buzzkill or to suck the fun out of life. It's one of those teachings that you give us, like all your teachings, because it's what's best for us. It's how we have great relationships. It's how we don't spend all of our time looking uh, for the grass to be greener on the other side, but instead focus in on what we already have, the relationships we already have, which in turn makes for great families and a great society. So Lord, help us to take this seriously. Help us to be the kind of people who always snuff out that little fire before it gets out of control. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.